Hey, it's Michael Fabiano now with Sports Illustrated, and I'm here to help you through this wild fantasy football season. To win in fantasy, you need player rankings you can trust, and ours have received the top five accuracy award over the last three seasons. Sign up for the all-new SI Fantasy Plus at si.com slash fantasy. We even have tools that sync with your leagues and experts who are standing by answering your questions in our premium chat. Sign up for SI Fantasy Plus at si.com slash fantasy and win your leagues in 2020. That's si.com slash fantasy. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 451 42 I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor Helping Neighbor. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206 206- 842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com I got something for your mind, body, and soul. podcast phil you found the bystander podcast today i have a seattle legend and longtime friend billy o'neill billy how you doing today i'm doing great tim how about you i'm super happy to see you and and catch up it's been too long billy um is a kid from my childhood basically well my pre-adulthood basically not my uh, childhood but uh played soccer back in the 80s and uh watched him grow up on the on the boats and uh, watched him rise to fame with Dale Chihuly as a person of the operations. What were you, the vice president or uh, chief officer there at Chihuly? Uh, I I wore a few hats. I was a chief operating officer and then a vice president of global sales. Um, So a couple different hats. 
Yeah, and you used to be the the boat driver. Did you meet Dale down at the boathouse? Uh, no, I met Dale. The first time I did meet Dale was at the boathouse. The boathouse is where he uh, lived and worked. It's right on Lake Union next to Ivor Salmon House. But uh, no, that summer I met Dale. I was coaching at Shoreline Community College. And as you know, when you're coaching, you're typically off in the summer. So in the summer, you're typically recruiting kids, trying to get kids to come to your school um, and then hustling. And my uh, first wife, Kari, who's my good friend uh, to this day, was going to school in Notre Dame. So being on a coach's salary, that wasn't going to pay the bills. So I worked at a boatyard uh, in Salmon Bay, just across the bridge uh, here in Ballard. And it was a combination of driving boats, cleaning boats, detailing boats, painting bottoms of boats, just doing whatever you could to hustle a buck. And uh, one day, this incredible boat came in called the Meteor, which was built by Anchor Jensen of Jensen Boatyards on Lake Union. It was built like a torpedo. It looked like a Buck Rogers boat. And this guy came in named Charlie Perriott, looking to get some work done on the boat. So he and I started chatting and uh, worked on the boat. And then the boat went away. About a week later, Somewhere in our conversations, uh, I had told him I was doing chartering for boats. So he gives me a call out of the blue, and uh, I'm actually at Shoal Shoal detailing a boat. I get this phone call, um, and that's when you had the big phones. You remember those big phones? Yeah, law and order, and, law and order days. And he says, hey, uh, my boss would like to take his boat out, and uh, we don't have anyone to skipper it. I said, sure. So he sends me an address, and... I hop in my car and I drove over to Westlake uh, on Lake Union. And uh, there's a guy there to meet me with the keys. And I hop in this boat, which I had never driven before, by the way. And the problem with the boat, the guy who designed it and built it, Anchor Jensen, was also the builder of the slow-mo, the hydroplanes. Mm. So it had a flat bottom. So it was trying to like boat a piece of plywood. It was, it was a nightmare. And I'd never driven it before. So I'm putting along trying to figure out how to navigate this boat uh, at the same time, trying to make my way over to Dale Julie's boathouse, whom I didn't know, ironically, even though I went to school to UW and I walked by his facility every day, didn't have a clue who he was. So about a hundred yards in the distance, I see this, this guy with a chartreuse shirt and red pants and big hair. And as I get closer, I'm like, this guy, a pirate, he's got like this patch on Sure enough, he has a patch on. So I pull up, and he's all freaked out. He's like, come on, man. We got to get going. We got to get going. So he hops in the boat. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, we're going over to Mercer Island. I love okay. this story. I know yeah. this story. <laughs> oh, I'm like, okay. So I'm putting along. And, and on, on Lake Union, there's a speed limit, like what cars have. It's called knots. So you have to stay under a certain amount of knots. So I'm putting along. And uh, about five minutes in the trip, he's like, this is not going to work. He goes, I'm running late. You got to get me there. And I'm like, yeah, there's a speed limit. You know, I'm going to go seven knots. And he goes, well, how much is the ticket? I said, I don't know. I've never got one. He goes, well, I'll pay it. I'm like, all right. So I kind of pick it up a little bit. You know, I go maybe from seven knots to maybe 12 knots or 13 knots. At this time, we're going through the cut at the UW, right underneath the bridge. And he's like, this is not going to work. He goes, you got to go. How fast does this thing go? And I go, hey, Mr. Julie, this is the first time I've ever driven this boat. I, I don't know. And I had never even looked at the motors. Twin 454s in this thing. 
wooden boat. So I nail it. We're flying. Go underneath a 520 bridge and we're skipping along. And he doesn't quite know where he's going. I definitely don't know where I'm going. And I'm kind of screaming at him. I'm like, where are we going? He goes, look for a big catamaran. I'm like, catamaran? I'm like, catamaran. I'm like, I- I've seen that catamaran. That's Paul Allen's catamaran. I'm like, the catamaran? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So sure enough, I go, are we going to Paul Allen's house? He's like, we're going to Paul Allen's house. So we're cruising through Lake Washington, heading down towards Seward Park. I see, uh, I think it was called the Dragonfly. Big catamaran out front. And um, as we get closer, he says, hey, do something spectacular. And I'm like, he goes, just do something spectacular. I'm like, all right. So uh, we come running into the dock. About 30 yards from it, I jump, I drop the port motor and I nail the starboard motor and almost swamp the boat. Do like almost, not quite a 360, but just this massive turn, huge wake. Dale falls down. I'm barely hanging on. He comes up, his patch is on the side of his face. He's trying to get his balance. I'm getting the boat back in place. We put back in. Everyone on shore is like, oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Da, 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 da. They're like, that's great. Don't ever do that again. I'm like, all right, all right. No problem, no problem. I drop him off and I go putting around the lake for about two, three hours. He says, I'll call you when I'm ready. So he calls me. He's like, hey, I'm ready. So I pull up to the dock and there's Dale. There's Paul Allen. And there's Peter Gabriel. who's hanging out with Paul Allen. And Peter they want Gabriel. To a, they want to take a look at the boat. So they all hop on the boat and they're looking at the boat. And I'm just like, this is a total trip. That was my first day meeting Dale Chigley. Wow. And, and Peter Gabriel. Um, and driving that boat. So that's my introduction to Dale Chigley. And we for got along really well. For some reason I thought he broke his arm when you did that. Um no, no, maybe no. I... he took a big he took a big tumble for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you brought up hustling, man. I I really feel like I gleamed a little bit of that hustle from you at an early adulthood. You know, you had your um, deli on 45th and University with Eric. How's Eric doing, by the way? I talked to Eric probably the last time, maybe about a year ago. I think he's doing great. He's got a beautiful wife. Uh, I know he's got a dog or two. Lives out in Maple Valley. Um, I think he's doing really good. I, I'm not sure. I think he's in the luxury driving the business where they kind of go around to different events and he kind of runs the driving uh, uh, division, meaning if there's a golf tournament and the golfers come in, there's 50 cars driving the golfers around. He kind of oversees that. I think that's what he's doing. But, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, Eric and I had uh, the coffee business. We had the 45th Street Deli. Um, we had the On the Ab Espresso. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was when the U District was a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was a lot of fun back then. Yeah, um, great restaurants, great restaurants, just a cool vibe. And then I think – um, your stepfather had the appliance reclaiming business or whatever. That that was a hustle. And that then, hustle. Um, what other hustles? Oh, the, you were the the main merchant for the Sounders back in the day. I had a bunch of stuff going on. I had I had some stuff going on with the Tacoma Stars, and I had some stuff going on with the Sounders. And we had the soccer camps with uh, myself and Brent Goulet. Uh, and Kenny Copeland and Eric, again, Eric Geis. Um, we did that through the Tacoma Stars. 
and then switched over to the Sounders. And, you know, we had some merch going on there for a while. You know, that's when, you know, that's when they're, you know, coming back to life as an ASL team and kind of finding their way playing at Memorial Stadium. But that was a, that was a, that was a cool, that was, it was just a great vibe. It was a cool time. I was very lucky. Yeah, you you had your hands in a lot of things with the deli, the coffee, uh, helping out your your father and um, doing the sounder stuff. But then you were also managing the boatyard and and putting together some beautiful wood boats and such. Um, and then you were playing soccer with me here and there. Yeah, and coaching. I, I think back then I was at Nathan Hale, maybe Nathan Hale or Ballard. But yeah, I mean, I think you know back then you know I, I wasn't. I was lucky enough to play with some really great players. I just happened not to be one of the great players, but I was fortunate enough to be with truly some of the best players I think that's ever come out of the state of Washington. It was just this really interesting moment in time. You know, Jeff Cook, Rick Blubaugh, Eric Geis, Simon Perkins. I mean, let's go Bernie James, Joe James, uh, Chance Fry. I mean, you know, having a chance to play with all those guys and know those guys and you know, see Chance, you know, coming back to Seattle after you get to play with the Cosmos and seeing Bernie being, you know, one of the most prolific indoor soccer players ever to grace the field. And just super cool, you know, seeing Jeff Cook do what he did. And, you know, so that Sounders team was, yeah. was, was awesome. awesome. And there, I really think that period of time, um, I know when I turned 18, I think there was nine years of no professional soccer. But those times with the Hibernian Saints, Seattle Americans, teams like that, um, yep. we were really competitive hotbed in the United States of America. And I think of people like Pete Fewing and Brian Smetzer as well, that uh, had Alan Hinton uh, as a coach for a little bit. Um, there was some great minds. I mean, my son got to play for uh, Precky's son just recently really? at uh, wow. Washington premier and Precky went on to play at Everton and on the national team. And he was a Tacoma star and, what was it blasting game? Was that the guy that used to run yeah. up the wall and do the flips? Yep, yep, absolutely. No, I mean that it was also cool because I think when the Tacoma Stars were playing too, it, 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 was, a, it was because you know Allen and and uh, Stevie Buttle, you know them kind of coming from the Sounders NASL time, and then the indoor starting in Tacoma and with Arena Sports being down there, there was just this kind of cool accessibility. You, you know, you 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 we're a fan, but you're also able to kind of meet those guys and, you know, maybe kick the ball around with them every now and then. It was, it was just really cool. And then, then they'd pick up a guy like a Billy Crook, right. And Billy would be playing with them. And then they'd pick mm-hmm. up another local guy like a Pete Fewing or a Dickie McCord and Dickie. I mean, there, it's just, it's just, it was just, it was a super special time. And there was just such a collectiveness of players and people that, uh, yeah, I think, I think for me personally, the timing couldn't have been better from that 18 year old to that 30 year old, just that collective group of people that came through there. And they're still great friends. I mean, I just talked to Pete, I talked to Bernie, I talked to Joe, I mean, talked to all those cats and it's funny to see how their lives move forward, you know, and how things change. Yeah. We all grow old, don't we? Yeah. 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 Good times. Hey, um, haven't really caught up since those times. So let's catch up. You have, um, an incredible lineup of, of glass at a place called glass. Eye, one of the best and oldest hot shops that started at uh, Pike place. Right now yep. you yep. said it in studio there now in Ballard. 
Yep, started in the Pike Place Market in 1978. Um, it was a group of kind of, you know, artists, hippies, kind of coming out the Pilchuck time, the same area that Dale came out of. They're all friends, all pals. And they opened up down the Pike Place Market. And then years later, they moved to the Ballard facility. Um, and then my wife and I and my partner, Christian, bought the company two years ago this past October. And it's been a work in progress. And we've had... We've had some really good things happen. We've had some pretty tough things happen. We had a fire here that oh, yeah. about half. That was that was a big setback, and then obviously COVID has not been uh, the most friendly thing to us or anyone else. Um, but we've been able to maintain our team. We've been able to keep our staff. Uh, we've been able to keep the doors open, and we we're just kind of you know day by day. It really is day by day. But yeah, we've got a great glass facility. We are, we sit on about fifty thousand square feet. Uh, just off the ship canal here in Ballard, um, got about 30 employees total, and we make things ranging from uh, a $20 piece of glass Christmas ornament to things that sell for $100,000. So our bandwidth is pretty wide. Well, tell me what what made you decide to stick with glass? Was it just working with Chihuly for so long that you decided that you wanted to do this? Plus, your your current wife, Piper, she's an artist as well. Um, was it just a, a surrounding, a submerge of artists around you that said, this is what you're going to do? Well, you know, Tim, before I met Dale, uh, art, art was not, art was not on my radar at all. I mean, zero, just like college wouldn't have been on my radar if it wasn't for soccer. So meeting Dale, I, I just can't even explain just how lucky of a chance that was. And then working with him for 15, 16 years, as closely as I did, I learned so much. And what I really learned is I love art. I had no clue how much I enjoyed it. Um, and it really has changed kind of my DNA. It changes how I live. It changes how I work. It changes what's around me. Uh, my home reflects that. And then of course, meeting my wife, Piper, who is an artist with Parsons and is a trained artist and shows at galleries and has an incredible aesthetic um, that just, you know, ramped it up. So my wife and I lived in London for about three years on and off. And when we came back to the States, um, we kind of thought like, what do we want to do? And so it took a little while, but we were landed on, we want to do art. We want to make art. And then this opportunity uh, presented itself, which was, again, kind of a, a chance coincidence, because originally uh, we were looking to do a small designer line at the Pike Place Market, ironically, the same place where Glass Eye started. And through the course of that process, which is a very long process to get into the market, we were having to figure out how we could do production, how we can make the object, the glass object itself. And that's how we got introduced to Glass Eye. Um, and through those course of conversations, the, the previous owner uh, asked if we had some interest in potentially buying the business. So it wasn't what we were seeking out to do necessarily, but when the opportunity gave itself, uh, we were like, this is great. So it's been, it's, been, it's been more work than I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, it's been more challenging in many, many ways. Um, working day in and day out with your wife seven days a week trying not to take it home at times can be tough um and then working with your friend who is your partner can be tough um and then also kind of going from 
you know, selling objects that sell for 50, 100,000, 500,000, 5 million to objects that sell for 25 and 50 and hundred dollars. It's a little bit of a mental shift, but it's been great. It's been great. Um, it's been great. I, I can't wait to have you and the family come over when things get back to normal and, you know, come see the hot shop. It's really fabulous. It's huge. And, and you're not living in the hot shop. You have a home outside of there. Yeah. My wife and I live in West Seattle. Yeah. Okay. But the funny thing is our commercial building that we used to live in and we still have is directly across the street. <laughs> and I had never come in this facility before. So in the 10 years I had lived there, I had never walked across the street to this glass facility. The first time I walked to this facility was the day that we decided to buy it. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Is Pegasus pizza, pizza still out at West Seattle? I used to love that shredded pepperoni with spinach and uh, sunflower seeds. That was my yeah. go-to thing. That's the one. We, we go to a place called Politarian in White Center, and they mm. do a good job. Yeah, really good. It's job. very ethically diverse in White Center now, right? White Center is great. White Center is great. I'm lucky enough to be a partner in a couple of restaurants out there, and it is a lot of fun. It's got a. It's just got an incredible, you know, ice cream shop. Uh, great pizzeria, great bike shop, great barbecue place, great, you know, ethnic food, uh, incredible bakeries. It's a cool place. It's, it's, it's a cool vibe for sure. It's changing a lot. And I think it's changing for the good. I think yeah. that it's, it's character, but it's not ripped out kind of the DNA of what White Center is about. Right. Yeah. I, I lived in West Seattle for about a year before I moved to Kentucky but prior to that, I was 15 years in uh, Belltown. And the places I really haven't been back since I live on Bainbridge Island now is uh, Georgetown, which I think has has grown quite a bit. Same with White Center. And uh, Ballard. I've, Ballard seems to be the restaurant capital of the world now um, compared to Seattle. Um, how you like yeah. the, the food out in Ballard? You have plenty of choices? Uh -huh. Yeah, Ballard's cool. I mean, you know, I, fortunately, I've been around long enough when Ballard was, you know, nothing, really nothing, really, you know, Raised. few bars. Raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, Ballard's cool. They got some great restaurants over there. They've, they've done a nice job. And, and I think right now, obviously, every restaurant is just crawling on its knees. Uh, Georgetown, I drive through there probably once or twice a week. And it's it's very, very quiet. Ballard has done a nice job because they've got such an open main strip that they've been able to get that outside seating and dining going. And, and, it, and it has a nice feel. I don't know how successful it is or isn't, but it has a nice feel. But yeah, Ballard, Ballard's cool. Georgetown's cool. Capitol Hill is going through some real transition right now. So it'll be interesting to see how that washes out the end of the day. And downtown, yeah, I know you don't get over here as much, but I drive through downtown every single day and it's it's uh it's heartbreaking. It's just yeah. heartbreaking what it looks like. It's, it's heartbreaking to see how many people are displaced and homeless. It's heartbreaking to see how many people are clearly, you know, on drugs. It's heartbreaking to see how many retailers are shut down. It's heartbreaking to see, you know, people not walking the streets. Uh, you know, I heard uh, just a couple of days ago, you know, obviously it makes sense, but you know, the Nordstrom Santa Claus photo is kind of, you know, a classic and it's canceled. You know, it's just it's a, it's a, it's a really really terrible time right now for so many people and, and when you drive through it uh it just yeah it just breaks my heart yeah it's tough i mean i was so looking forward to the world-class uh waterfront 
and then the seawall kind of pulled away. The boring of the tunnel took forever. And now the West Seattle Bridge is having struggles. And then the viaduct came down and it just opened up, you know, basically a tent city that you have to cross once I get off that ferry. And uh, then you get up into Capitol Hill. We used to call that Pill Hill because all the hospitals were up there. And I have to take my mom up there every once in a while. And um, it's quite different. And then I look at the uh, Cal Park there by SU and what a beautiful park that was. And when the autonomous zone came, just destroyed it, you know, and I'm a guy that worked at Garfield for a long, long time and um, had good connections with Seattle U. And that was my neighborhood, you know, and Nate Robinson's chicken wings and Zell's and, you know, just the history of that area. And then to see that a lot of the displacement comes from mom and pop shops, you know, not, I don't know exactly what the protest, you know, what good it did in destroying small businesses there. And I think COVID is really going to change how we, our perspective for one and how we do business in the future. A lot of things in my estimation is have become obsolete. You know, I don't need 10 bank tellers in a bank. You know, I think that job, Radio Shack, JC Penney's, you see, you see these businesses that had long patterns of, of work just going by the wayside. And what kind of things do you envision as obstacles coming out of COVID? That's a great question. I, I think it's an interesting year. I think if, I believe if COVID had not happened, and if the Black Lives Matter movement did not happen and some of the protests that we've seen, which have been massively destructive, which I get, but I think those are things that will ultimately, ironically, I believe strongly will make humanity, our country, uh, the world a better place. I think. This has been a chance for everyone to kind of put a moment and pause and ask themselves, what is the values that we should have? Um, should there be people treated the way they're treated? Should there be people are, that are displaced and as homeless as they are? Should there be police brutality? Um, should we have the president we currently have? And I think, you know, most likely people would say no. But when you see as many people voting for the current president, that's scary to me. That's very me scary that's, uh, that there's a lot of individuals who I don't find stupid. I just find uneducated because I don't think that someone who is informed would think that way unless you're just a hateful person. So I think due to COVID and I think due to much of the protest, I think those are things that ultimately got the vote out. And that's why we've got Biden. Because I think if those things may not have happened, we may not have had that vote turn out the way it did. And that would have been catastrophic to have another four years of our current administration from top to bottom. Yeah. It, so, at, so, so to answer your question, what I see coming out, I, I see, I think 2021 is going to be a great year. I think quarter one and two is going to be really tough. I mean, really tough. I think we're in, I think we're in the next 90 days. I think it's going to be as dark as it gets, uh, obviously with Thanksgiving and with Christmas and with New Year's and the volume of travel and COVID still being what it is, and the vaccine not being coming out yet, 
But I think quarter three and four and, and, and the administration and people's values uh, will go in the right direction. So I'm optimistic. I'm very optimistic. Yeah, I think I've reevaluated my life and the relationships that I have and the communication that I have on a daily basis with people I care about. I've, I've reprioritized what's important to me. And slowing down and not being in that grind 24-7 has really opened my eyes to, hey, you know, what are you going to do in the next five years? How are you going to happily assist other people? Um, what's your end game? You know, I'm, we're both over 50 now. So, you know, the earning time is getting smaller and smaller and, you know, the quality of life diminishes as we age. So that kind of puts an importance on every single day, you know, going forward. I want to, I want to be the best person I can have the most positive interactions and, you know, truly love the people that I love and make sure they know that. Yeah. Um, this year has been, you know, I never knew the left from the right when it came to politics and different perspective. I've talked politics till I'm blue in the face, but one thing that, and you know, our governor Jay Inslee is lives in the neighborhood here about a mile away. And I've covered, you know, a lot of election stuff. And I look at our current mayor and I, I remember you having a pretty good relationship with our former mayor and Mike McGinn. Can you kind of tell me how that happened and uh, what the difference between the two people were? Because I always thought McCann, you know, he rode his bike just like Jay, you know, he's a a people person. He was down to earth. He was in the city, you know, he was doing functions that that I'd see him at all around Seattle. And uh, I just felt like he was a warm, inviting guy that, you know, was type of guy that um, could be hard nosed when he needed to be, and uh, he could admit mistakes and and such. Yeah, this, I just asked you how you your relationship was, and I told told you mine. Um. <laughs> no, I don't know how this came to be, but ironically, I, I've been what I would call pretty good friends, or at least very good acquaintances with uh, four of our previous mayors. Um, Charlie Royer, who is a who is a dear friend, his wife Lynn uh, was a great mayor in Seattle, and he's just a great guy, a fantastic guy, and you know, still doing things to make Seattle better. Um, they live down in Belltown, and he's really uh, committed to trying to make the Belltown area better. And he's he's a great guy. And then obviously Mike McGinn um, met him through the studio when I worked for Chihuly, and. You know, he was uh, a really, really good guy. He put me on the Arts Commission for the city of Seattle and uh, someone that I could pick up the phone and call. And I thought he did a really good job. Uh, I think he had a tough go with his staff internally. His style of management didn't seem to necessarily align. And I think that kind of laid a roost a bit with him. And then, uh, you know, Mayor Murray, who, you know, obviously I, I really like and uh, you know, obviously had some challenging, challenging times with the accusations that were made against him. Uh, but another person who was, you know, politically a monster, he had been around forever. He had been, you know, in, in Olympia and he had done a great job for the city. Um, and then our current mayor, who uh, I, I don't know her and obviously living in Seattle, but I don't know if it's as much her or if it's more the council. I think our city council uh, is literally off the skids. I think the city council has made 
some massively poor decisions that will have such long-term implications that will hurt Seattle in such a deep, deep way for years to come. But I don't know if any mayor can dig their way out of that. And obviously with what happened during the CHOP and, and the whole summer protest and Capitol Hill uh, with our police chief and our mayor and our city council, you know, you just had a, a massive disalignment there. You know, people just couldn't get on the same page. But it was so disruptive. I don't know how you do get on the same page. I mean, what, what is the right answer? Do you take water hoses to spray protesters or do you take tear gas? Well, you know, in hindsight, you might have been doing better with water hoses. Um, do you let them do what they're doing because their message is correct? Uh, but then some of the results, the violence and the destruction is not acceptable. Um, it, it, it's a tough time. So I don't think she will get reelected and I don't think she may even want to come back again. So it'll be interesting because this city council is a harness around anyone who wants to be mayor at this time. So I think we have to focus on changing the city council more so than the mayor. Yeah, I concur. But uh, I definitely feel like the mayor has some culpability as well because leadership comes from the top, as you know, and uh, it's tough. Like Bainbridge Island has a city manager um, type format. You know, so so there's city council and then city council uh, chooses a mayor, but the council and the mayor work for the city manager. So it's a different yeah. process over here. Um, yeah. Tell me what you got going on right now in the studio and uh, what's coming up. So uh, this year we've had a couple of really exciting things. We have uh, we have different divisions in our company. So we've got what's called Glass Eye Studio which has been around since 1978. Uh, they're known for making beautiful ornaments, uh, handmade objects, vases, votives, glass hearts, uh, little fishing floats, all sorts of really beautiful objects. So that's Glass Eye Studio. Then we have Global Village, which is things that we design here and that we have made outside the U.S., and those can range from, we got these really beautiful little Pike Place Market pigs, the Billy and Rachel, that are Mercury oh, yeah. ornament. And we're doing some stuff for uh, for uh, the new hockey team. I can't say who they are, but we're doing some stuff for them. And uh, it, so that's an import business that we have. And then we have a memorial line, which is called Little Things and Celebration Ashes. So Little Things is for your pets. Celebration Ashes is for your loved ones who are humans. And what we do is we take the ash of either your pet or your loved one, and we make into beautiful art objects. Um, and that's really that's that's a really interesting, it's a really beautiful way to commemorate someone in, in a in a different light as opposed to having a shoebox of ash under your bed or in your closet. You can actually share it with family members or yourself, and that's a really fun thing. Then we've got what's called Idlewild Union, which is our fine art division, and that's what my wife spends the majority of her time on. And that's a combination of making commercial installations, residential installations, site-specific installations. Um, but we also have an artist that we work with out of New York named Hunt Slonum. And he's an incredibly well-renowned artist, uh, incredibly talented, uh, who's been a painter for the past 50-some years. And so over the past year, uh, myself and Piper and our team have worked with him on expanding some of his vocabulary and 
look behind me, you'll see some of the work. There's there's a wall piece there that's a format of a bunny that's in an oval frame, and there's a light box behind me of some of his paintings. So we do some sculpture, we do glasswork, we do installations, um, and we're having our first show of those works in February in Fort Lauderdale. Um, so that's been that's been really exciting. And again, my wife runs that primarily. That's that's her her lane. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of we got you know for for how rough it's been this year, it's been a great year of growth. And, and again, this is our second October is our second year being here. So I'm happy with 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 the direction we're going. Um, but we've had some setbacks, obviously. How did you meet Piper? Uh, Piper and I met at the studio, so she actually worked for me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, I think you're gonna have to work on a more romantic story. <laughs> uh, actually, it actually is a really, it actually there is a really good story. So Piper worked in our sister company called Portland Press, which is now called Julie Workshop. And I ran Julie Studios, and I ran Julie Workshop. Um, and Chile Workshop was more of our edition programs, lithography, publications, uh, swag, materials, shirts, hats, umbrellas. Uh, and she had given her resignation, um, her two-week resignation. And one of the things I try to do with everyone who was a new hire who was leaving, I always want to meet the new hire. I always want to meet the person who's leaving. So I was flying back from London and... My assistant, Michelle, said, uh, I've got arrangements for you and Piper to meet. I'm like, great. And it was going to be on a Thursday, but my flight got delayed, so it became a Friday. And it went from a Friday meeting to a Friday dinner. Um, so that's how we met. We went out for dinner on the Friday, and she was telling me why she was moving on. She was moving on to an architectural firm downtown, and we got on quite well. And uh, I was excited that she was going to be gone in two weeks because we started dating. <laughs> there you go that's a better story <laughs> hey um can you give me a little bit of an update on how dale's doing and uh what his current status is i i think the last time i was really following what he was doing he was doing the ice sculptures in jerusalem was that where that was yeah that was a long time ago that was 1999 tim wow you haven't been tracking his career very closely now, have you? No, I mean, well, when Chris um, left and started his studio project, um, I think the last thing that I saw was uh, the Seattle Center Glass Garden there. Yep, Chula Garden Glass, yeah. So uh, Chula Garden Glass celebrated seven years this year, eight years. So yeah, that's been eight years ago, eight or seven years ago. And that's been a huge success. I mean, that is just really artistically, I think probably the one of the most important things in Dale's career for sure. And what's so great about it is him being local and, and sharing that with the local community, but then also sharing it with, you know, the visitors that come to Seattle. And that's that's been truly one of the most uh, successful museums in the country i think it falls in the top 10 and by far the most successful museum in seattle which is great um and then you know i left the studio five years ago so i'm not as close to dale as i once was but i still watch his career i just saw he had a show in toronto right now at the sand rains the gallery 
he's got some new beautiful series. He's got some new beautiful paintings. Um, you know, he he's a worker, so he's doing a lot of beautiful stuff. I, I've seen some of his new series that he's been coming out. He had a show at Traver Gallery uh, here in Seattle earlier in the year with a series called Merletto, which is a, a beautiful basket form with this lacy uh, interior kind of almost uh, ghost-like colorizations of, of cane that goes through it and, and a really beautiful series. So he's doing great. I mean, I'm sure he's, you know, doing great. He's got a nice son named Jackson who lives down in California, played soccer, uh, played on Bernie's squad. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Bernie, yeah. Uh, good athlete. Um, so I'm sure he's doing great, but I haven't unfortunately seen him for quite some time, but I hope he's doing well. Yeah, the glass installation at Seattle Center, I th- think the one thing that impressed me was his native um, art collection. You know, the all that stuff on the wall that was just so beautiful. And it seemed like he had been collecting that stuff for years while I was collecting baseball cards. You know, <laughs> big difference in my collection and his. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Northwest Room. That's a, that's a pretty interesting story because uh, Dale grew up in Tacoma. And one of the things when he was a young kid is he used to go down to the History Museum that has uh, Washington State down in Tacoma by the train station. It's got an incredible uh, collection of, of works, uh, American Indian works from Washington State, Vancouver, uh, some Alaskan works, some really beautiful works. And he was really influenced by those works. And that was actually the beginning of his series, which is called the Basket Series, was really him mimicking those woven baskets into glass. That's mm-hmm. kind of his stepping stone into that. And that's really kind of got his career going because uh, a curator out of New York named Henry Geltzeller uh, actually acquired some of those works for the permanent collection of the Metropolitan Museum. Um, so that was, that was a good start, obviously, to Dale's career. But Dale's always been influenced by many things, whether it be the water or whether it be nature or whether it be American Indian culture. So, yes, you're right. At the Seattle Center, uh, the second room that you walk into is this beautiful room that has floor to ceiling panels and blankets on one wall and Edward Curtis photographs, photogravures on another wall uh, mixed along with this live edge cedar planking wood with these beautiful baskets and his glass uh, going through it. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful installation. It's actually probably my it's probably my favorite installation in that exhibition is probably that installation. It's just very yeah, mine too. Yeah. yeah. You still got very Charlie good. Bronson? Oh yeah. Charlie's running around. I think Piper's got Charlie hit. So he's not jumping around me too much. Charlie and LaRue. We got two of them. And what kind of dog is LaRue? LaRue is a rescue and she's half Jack and half pit. And she cool. runs the house. She runs the house. <laughs> she runs the house. That's a big thing that we we spend a lot of times, my wife and I, we have been able, lucky enough to either rescue, rehouse, or help support probably a good 30, 40 dogs in the last few years. And we spend a lot of time helping an organization called Burian Cares that does an amazing job on helping those little critters uh, find the right homes and get out of harm's way. So we spend a lot of time with that. Matter of fact, we've got a an ornament that we that we just launched this year um, where uh, the proceeds are going to Burian Cares. Um, it's a little heart, beautiful heart with a cornucopia colorization. So, well, put me down it. for one of those, okay? Okay. 
We have two rescues ourselves. Um, shout out to Big Dog Rescue, um, great organization that we've worked with as well. So I appreciate yeah. you um, contributing to that. And you know, I think dogs really contribute to a lot of a lot of great things for people as well. Yeah. Well, the nice thing this year, and we were talking about this before with COVID, it's nice to see so many people, you know, have the chance to spend more time with their animals and also adoption rates have been great for, for rescue. So, so that's a, that's a, that's a nice silver lining to see that, you know, uh, people kind of getting back to some of the better core values. It's hard not to love an animal period. Mm -hmm. And I think some people are getting back to the core values of loving their family and themselves too. I know there's the opposite, the depression, the quarantine 15, or some people got the quarantine 19, the full dose. Um, you know, you, you reevaluate and either you go down the depression and alcoholic route, or you get closer and stronger bonds with your family and friends. And I hope I'm doing the latter. Yeah. I, uh, I wish I could say, I, you know, it's been, a healthy experience, but there, there, you know, when you have, I would say the things that have been most challenging has not been so much for myself and Piper personally, or even the business, it's been the staff and, and seeing the struggles that they go through, whether it's mm. people on reduced hours or even in some cases having let people go. And then I'm trying to go through the process of getting support and getting help and getting PPP or, or getting unemployment or getting some type of assistance that kind of keeps their day going. That's been, that's been devastating. So yeah, we, uh, we have worked really hard to make sure that our team, no matter what the situation is, is put in a good place that we can put them in. And, and we've been committed to that. You've so um, been, go ahead. That's been a driving driving force for us for this past year. You, you've um, always incorporated helping people in my mind, whether, whether it was from when you had very little and you were supportive to current day situation, you work with some foundations and uh, much like the, the dog rescue work with the Watts foundation. And um, tell me a little bit about the, the Billy O wines and, and what that project was about. Sure. Well, you know, a lot of that, before I answer that question, a lot of that really just comes out of just kind of how I was raised. You know, my mom and I came to the States when I was about a year and a half old and my mother being 15 years old when she had me, uh, that was a tough deal. So really I relied on my neighbors and friends and coaches so much i mean they were critically important and they were very generous with their time and resources and money and food and whatever else and mm -hmm. so i think i carried that sense of wanting to make sure that we help people has been that's been actually really easy that's not been a that's not been a hard thing for me and i often don't even really think about it it's just something that we do and my wife feels the same way about it um, so we've had a couple things we've done. We've done Delio Wines, which is a program that we would make wine. Um, uh, Dale truly was nice enough to lend his artwork to the label. Uh, my good friend, Eric Dunham was the winemaker. Uh, we had done a great job with that, helping lots of different organizations. We shut that down after, unfortunately, Eric passed away. He committed suicide and, um, 
program just wasn't the same, obviously. But we've also done other programs called 65 Roses, where I think we've raised about a half million dollars for citric fibrosis through a wine program, again, called 65 Roses. Piper designs a label each year. We work with a different winemaker each year. And then those cases of wine get sold at the gala. And that's been really successful. And then I've been lucky enough to work with different organizations, whether it be the Seattle National Film Festival or being on the Arts Commission or uh, what else? Um, uh, the music group. Yeah, there's a bunch of different things that we've done that we do. But the, the dog thing, the animal thing has been really kind of, I think I've really kind of centered myself to that. And then obviously working with the Watts Foundation and, and Slick and Donald and seeing what they do for their community and for the community of kids that don't necessarily always have the best of access and uh, Slick and Donald making sure that they do get access, that they get a chance to experience uh, basketball and community and, and, and a good, safe environment. So that's a, that's a great organization. So a big shout out to the Watts Foundation on what they do and a big shout out to Beering Cares. So that's kind of what is in my wheelhouse today is Beering Cares and the Watts Foundation. Um, but I'm sure there'll be more things that will be popping up. Well, I love that Slick Watts uh, ornament. That cracks me up. That's so well made. Yeah, yeah. that was fun. So uh, I've been lucky enough to be friends with Slick for quite a few years. And we were having a conversation. He said, you know, I said, hey, Slick, we should do something this holiday for, uh, for the foundation. And Slick's like, well, what are you thinking? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure. So we had a meeting here at the studio and I had Piper and Christian and our main glass blower, Chris Steffens in the room. And I said, gosh, I'd like to see if we could figure out something to do for slick for the foundation. And Chris immediately pops up and says, well, we'll do a beautiful ornament and then we'll put a headband and put a cricket on it. I'm like, that's brilliant. That's what we're going to do. It's so, so brilliant. So it's an actual headband. It's an actual. So, so we, we, so we bought wristbands, that then got cut down to headband size that got re-sewn and then they're applied to the ornament. So it's an actual headband on the ornament and it comes in a great box and uh, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really cool thing. I, I love it. I think it's one of the coolest things. I got, I'll send one of those to you over. You'll love awesome. that. That'll be a good keepsake. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to have Slick sign it for you before I send it over. I'll do that. <laughs> nice. Uh, sounds like he's not going to make it for our meeting today here. No, he was running around. I told you he was with, he was with Sean Camp. Sean just opened up a new shop in Seattle, so those two are. Is that where the um, Champion Party Supply store used to be? No. Okay, so uh, the Sean Camp Dispensary. Dispense. Am I saying it right? No. The what are they called? I don't Head shop. To... I don't care. Sean <laughs> yeah. Camp Pot Shop. Um, when you come down the base of Queen Anne and you get to the bottom of the base. There's a coffee shop, Cafe Ladro on the left. He's right on the right. So it's uh, it's a new build building. And uh, apparently people say it's great. Um, again, it's not necessarily what I do, but I think it's cool. I mean, it's cool to see Sean Kemp. Well, Lower Queen Anne needs a boost so bad. I mean, I grew up, and we're talking Sonic, Seattle Supersonics here for the people that don't get the reference. Slick Watts, 1976, first uh, was not drafted. Had an in with Bill Russell, made the team. He led the NBA in both uh, steals and assists 
and was all pro. And he had a short career in Seattle, but he turned to the community. He worked at Franklin. Um, I think same time I worked at Garfield. He's inspired lots of kids and done a lot for the community and is a pretty above average tennis player. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was just talking about how uh, he's not going to be able to play tennis because they shut down the courts for him. But no, he, he is. I think that's he, the safest sport to play right now is tennis. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Tennis and golf is probably, you're probably doing okay. Right. Right. You're outside. Uh, you can wear a glove on one hand. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's a trip because as a kid, you know, I mean, he was absolutely one of my idols. I mean, I remember, I mean, Slick Watts, yeah. Zorn. I mean, there's this, these Seattle icons, you know, that you just kind of go like, wow, you know, they're bigger than life. And so uh, actually I met him through Brad Brotherton, who is a, another just incredible guy who owns Brotherton Cadillac and does a ton for the community. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. they're the guys that hooked up uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. yeah he's, a, he's a great guy. And Brad uh, and Amy have an annual event called Celebrity Waiters, where they bring in different oh, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I was lucky enough to meet Slick through that. And then uh, we just became good friends. And we just, you know, we hang out a couple times a week and, and, you know, we just BS and watch basketball and watch tennis and watch sports. I've been trying to get him to watch soccer. He, he just, he can't quite get his head wrapped around it. He's like, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, no, he's just, he's, he's one of the, he's truly one of the sweetest, kindest, uh, most giving people I've ever come across and humble. It's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. he is beyond humble and Sean, you know, who is his good friend is who uh, I've had a chance to meet is another really class act, really, really sweet guy. And, Another person, you know, just was bigger than God at one time. And, you know, so it was kind of a trip to be sitting there with. Yeah, they're uh, different decade Seattle icons, you know, real OGs like yourself. I I love talking Seattle, man. I love, love, love growing up and spending time in Seattle and, you know, the 80s and 90s. And now what's going on is, is so removed from back in the day. But there were so many great things, you know, Thunderbird Games at the, uh, what not the Coliseum, but what was that offshoot by the oh, BPA? Arena. Arena, yeah. And then, you know, Halise yeah. goes down in Lower Queen Anne for the Sea Dogs and the Sonics. And, you know, had my, my fun living down there just a couple blocks away from all that. Valley parking, dating Sonic cheerleaders. Um, Slick Watts was uh, definitely – a type of guy that made an impression on not just myself as a 10 year old boy watching him play, but, um, iconic status for the city of Seattle for sure. Yeah. 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 I'm hoping, you know, that we, we've had some great days in Seattle and, and let's just, let's just hope that things will start going in a better direction. And I do believe again, with this administration coming in and with the vaccine, uh, rolling out, and maybe uh, people kind of readjusting their values or their core values. I'm, I'm hopefully optimistic that things will be going in the right direction. And I'm excited about the Kraken. I'm excited about seeing hockey back in Seattle. And uh, obviously we got a great football team and the Seahawks and the Huskies are looking pretty decent this year. And Sounders a, won last night in the playoffs. Doing great. Right. And so uh, in WNBA, right. Fantastic. Storm does it again. 
So uh, let's just get some Sonics back, and we'll we'll be we'll be cooking with fire here. Yeah, I don't see that happening, and I, I don't know why. You know, um, the Kraken is cool. I wish there was a better logo. Um, I'd buy a bunch of swag. It's okay. I like the colors and and stuff, but I was kind of hoping that I'd see an octopus with a or a giant squid, whichever it is, with sticks in every tentacle and slapping things around out of the sky. Um, kind of used to have octopuses. Yeah, yeah. God, learned a lot about octopuses yesterday. Have you seen that uh, show on Netflix, My Octopus Teacher? Ah, I have not. Pretty intense. This guy lived free diver with this one octopus and became friends with him uh, for uh, over a year. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard this. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Hey, well, uh, I, I won't take up any more of your time, but um, can you tell the listeners where people can uh, support you and find some of your work online? Yeah, you can go to Glass Eye Studios. You can type in Glass Eye and it'll pop right up. Uh, you can also check out what we do uh, with Celebration Ashes and Little Things. Um, if you've not seen that process before, Tim, just to elaborate a little bit more, uh, it's literally taking ash and making it into art. And it's really it's really beautiful. I, I, I really encourage your listeners to check it out. Um, it's, just a, it's just a very different approach. It's something I never even thought of or would have thought of until I'd seen it. But it's really it's 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 super moving, um, and then we got Global Village, which has got some really fun stuff. We got some really cool ornaments, and we got the Pike Place Market Pig. We got Billy and Rachel. We got uh, the Space Needle. We got some fun fun ornaments, um, and then the big thing this year is uh, you know trying to stay healthy and trying to keep the team in place, and looking forward to twenty twenty one. But if you want to do something great, hop online. You'll see what we're doing for the Six Watt Foundation. You'll see what we're doing for Burying Cares. Two beautiful ornaments uh, supporting two really beautiful organizations. So that would be cool. Do you still have that uh, cowboy ornament? Uh, I don't. I, I really love that one. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, there's some cool ones. I'll send you over some. I got one ornament that I think you'll you'll really like. Um, with the view, am I on your viewers actually see me? Yeah, but I usually don't put video out, but I can put a little tease of a video out if you'd like to, uh, take the camera and show us a few things. Let me see if I can, I'll send you a photo of it. How about that? And you can decide, yeah, sounds you, great. You can decide if you want to share it or not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you Good look luck. super healthy. Um, what what has changed in, in your uh, health regimen? Uh, you know, just better eating, less drinking, a little bit more exercise. Uh, that sounds easy. <laughs> well, I mean, my wife is you know she is a, a very healthy person. She eats well. She exercises. So uh, by proxy, I, that's somewhat rubbed off on me. It's so a nice I'm thing like, to have rub off on you. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, hey, you uh, is that a Sith hat you got on right now? Yep, yep. Seattle National Film Festival. Yeah. On that board. Years. Yeah. Um, it was kind of kind of a trip to find out that uh, we had a mutual friend in John Cumberford. Oh yeah, yeah. John's a great guy. Super nice. He's yeah. been on the podcast twice. I just absolutely love both the movies that uh, I was privy to review before they got released and. Um, the Capitol Hill massacre and the Marshawn Lynch documentary. 
Both were um, stunningly shot and produced. And, you know, he's just always telling a story. He's super into his jazz. Um, super good dude. Yeah. Talented guy. Talented beyond belief. Yeah. Very, very humble, too. Yep. Much like yourself. Oh, thank you. All right, Billy O'Neill, Glass Eye All Studio. Right. Be kind, man. All right. Love you, man. Peace. Peace. Be good. I will. Right. Take care. Thanks to me. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Podcast Phil. Want your spoken word to be heard? We are currently seeking submissions for spoken word and poetry. Send your recorded words to tinytim at thebystanderpodcast.com. Say that ego shook you, look you a fine, and I'm really here just to I'll tell you that. I'm looking to find the peace of mind I've seen at times, but maybe I could be blind. I'll tell you that I'm looking to find climb a heist to reach that sky. You know, I'll be there before I die.